Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, Managing Director and Founder of FW. I began life as a journalist, held senior roles in newspapers, edited Australia's largest magazine, and in 2018, I launched my own business. FW is dedicated to helping women navigate their working lives. But I've made my share of mistakes, especially as a leader. In this series, I go in search of answers to often complex leadership challenges. I explore the latest thinking on how to be a great leader and return to the tried and true methods to better understand what works and in what situations. About 10 years ago, I worked with some incredible female leaders when I was in magazines. One of those leaders was the highly acclaimed editor-in-chief of Gourmet Traveller magazine. Today, Anthea Lucas-Bosher is CEO of Food and Wine Victoria. In this episode, we explore how and when to quit a dream job, how to resign well, and of course, where to have a long lunch and or a good cocktail. Anthea Lucas-Bosher, welcome to the FW Leadership Series. This is your biggest time of the year, so let's start by talking about the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. Oh, thanks, Helen. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. Well, we have just launched the program for the 2024 Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, which is the biggest and the best consumer uh, food and wine festival in the country. We're expecting 65,000 people to attend around 430 events over 10 days between March 15th and March 24th. The leadership issue that I want to explore with you today is how as a leader you decide to leave a dream job. And I know you've done this a few times and agonised and had to think, think it through quite carefully. So to start with, what was the hardest job to leave? Probably leaving Gourmet Traveller. It was really, really hard. I was, you know, I was there for a long time. I edited Gourmet Traveller for 14 years. I'd built a beautiful team. I think that's always the hardest. I'd had, a, you know, a great team. I was in a really good place, like, professionally, like, because I'd been there for so long, a bit like you at The Weekly, I think, like, the, you know, the magazine pretty much ran itself, so I had the opportunity to try trial new revenue streams and new brand um, extensions and things like that. So, it was actually a really fun job. You know, I got to travel a little bit. And I think particularly because I was leaving that to the unknown, I was moving back to, I lived in Sydney for 17 years and I was moving back to Melbourne. My father was sick and I wanted to be back here, but I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. I had to put a few feelers out there and there were a couple of irons in the fire and not long after that, there were lots of irons in the fire. But when I resigned, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just needed a break. I needed to be in Melbourne with my mum and dad. And I kind of also felt like I needed, I wanted a bit of a, yeah, I'm going to use that horrible word pivot. I, ne- I wanted a, I don't want to use the word career change because it's not exactly a change, but sort of, I, I felt like I wanted to explore something outside of traditional media. So I didn't know where I would land after that. There's a few issues in that, you know, and and A, taking the risk of going without a a landing spot, which many people would have advised you against doing. Can you talk about the process you went through at Gourmet Traveller when you were thinking about quitting? I think 
I'd lost a bit of passion for the role and it was nothing to do with the product or the work that we were doing, but it was a little bit more about the organisation, what it had become at the risk of sort of being, I don't want to be disparaging because that business and the various owners that owned that business were very good to me, but I just didn't quite believe in the future of where the business was heading. We'd had a lot of roadblocks in terms of owning our digital assets. And I guess I probably was just a bit punch drunk. I was like, I just don't think I can do this anymore. And it's not fair to the team. And I never wanted to be one of those. I wanted to leave on a high and I planned it like quite strategically. We we ran the 50th anniversary issue, the biggest ever issue of Gourmet Traveller. We had a massive party that was heaps of fun. We had all of our, you know, key stakeholders there and I gave a speech and in hindsight, if you looked back at my speech, it was almost like a farewell speech. But I knew that I was going to resign the week after. So I was quite strategic like that and I just thought it was a really great way to leave on a high, it was a big, chunky... A magazine full of lots of advertising dollars and, you know, a great milestone. And it was probably time for me to hand over to someone else and see what what fresh eyes someone else could bring to, you know, that beautiful magazine and the team that are there now doing an amazing job. But in terms of back to what you asked me, yeah, it was sort of a process that sort of, I think it kind of crept up on me a little bit, but also we'd had a bit of personal trauma. We'd had a, we had a very late um, miscarriage. I think that coupled with my father being sick was sort of like, it was a bit of a, what are you doing? You know, where, where do you want to be? I was having, I had a lot of anxiety and I thought it was about work, but it wasn't. It was the trauma that I'd been through and it was, it was dad as well. So it was actually my husband, Trust, who said, I think we need to move to Melbourne. So that was really the impetus for, well, I can't do this job in Melbourne. So it was all those sort of a confluence of all those things coming together. And then when he said that, I'm like, yeah, maybe you're right. It was like a sort of a light, you know, like a light switch had gone on and and it just felt right. I talked to a lot of people about listening to those exterior signals and messages um, when things are unclear because quite often you do get pretty strong signals. Your signals were a bit stronger than normal, Ant. Like right. there was a lot a lot going yeah. on in your life at that point. You know, do, do you feel like the universe literally said, like yeah. shoved you out the front of 54 Park Street in the end and said, just go? <laughs> I think so. I mean, it was, so it was, really was for personal reasons. It was funny. I remember sort of drafting or approving the press release that was going to go out to announce my Resignation and our legal counsel, who's also a good friend of ours, Adrian Goss, Helen said to me, "Are you sure you want to cite personal reasons and spending more time with family as the reason why you're leaving the business? Because we made that up when we sack someone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the line we use when we sack someone. I'm like, well, I don't know. It's the legitimate truth. So. Um, it is unfair on all the people that use personal reasons. I that, know, that, right? That, that line actually has yeah, such a yeah. loaded yeah. context. Yeah. So I was privy to a lot of this at the time, knowing how much you did give this a lot of thought. So to anyone listening to this, um, retrospectively, uh, if they're in their dream job, and I know Gourmet was your dream job, and I know you loved every day, but you had that niggling voice in your head saying, it's time to go. Anyone who has that niggling voice in their head right now, what advice do you have for them? I'm, I'm kind of loath to say it because it's such a cliche, but you just have to trust your gut. Not everyone is, you know, has good intuition, but I think, 
you know, yeah, it, it for me it really was that. It was sort of it was a process that sort of that crept up. And, you know, not everyone has the privilege of being able to take that leap. I was lucky. I had a safety net. I was okay. I could afford not to work for a little while if that, you know, was the case. But I think if you're in the a privileged position where you do work that you love and you're passionate about and you stop being passionate about it, then that's a pretty good signal that it's time to move on as much for the people around you. Yeah, and just see what other opportunities are out there. You know, I was very lucky being in media for so long and being in that role. I had a great network of contacts and I, you know, had sort of drafted up a pretty strong list of people that I would like to work with, um, whatever that could look like. So I sort of started doing a bit of that thinking and mapping out before I actually, you know, took the plunge. But I think you kind of know. I feel like you know, and it's so annoying because people will say, would be potentially listening to this saying, well, how will I know? Like that's so that's so amorphous, like, but you kind of do, I think. Nelson Mandela said quitting is leading too um, and knowing the right time to go, I think is one of um, life's tricks. You did it again. You went off and took some time out, took another very interesting, but as you say, quite a different role. Talk to us a bit about your decision to join Mecca. That was definitely left field. A lot of people were very surprised by that. What happened was once kind of word got out that I was moving back to Melbourne, the founder of Mecca, Joe Horgan, called me. And I'd known Joe for a very long time. She was a, a big supporter of Gourmet Traveller. She was actually sort of a, she always harboured like dreams of becoming a journalist before she, she launched Mecca. So she always loved media. And in my work life before editing Gourmet, my very, one of my very first editing roles, I was a fashion writer and a fashion editor. So I knew her through the fashion piece because I was one of the first people to write about Mecca when she launched it. And she and I had actually lined up a, another job with a, a small publishing group here and I was going to open, or a small publishing group that, they're not so small now, uh, I was going to sort of bolster their Melbourne office and maybe work with a couple of chefs and just sort of take my foot off the pedal a little bit and just, you know, see what I wanted to do. And then she approached me, she said, oh, you're coming to work for me. And I said, no, I'm not, Joe. I've already committed three days with this person and it looks like maybe another day with this person and thank you very much. But anyway, she was very, if anyone, for anyone that knows Joe, she's incredibly persistent, does not take no for an answer. And she was losing her head of content and head of PR, wonderful Lucinda Mendel, some of you might know, who had been commuting from Sydney to Melbourne but decided to um, leave and uh, her son was going to sort of the bigger years of high school and wanted to be more, spend more time in Sydney. So, yeah, there was a, a gap. So she was very keen for me to, to take that role. And, yeah, I said yes in the end. I was like, well, well, it's an amazing business. I went and met with her and she's incredibly infectious and the business was, you know, exploding and it still is and it's incredibly successful and there was, they were doing amazing things. They still are doing amazing things. They had money to do amazing things. That wasn't quite the environment that I'd come from. So I said yes and I thought, well, you want to do something different and this is commercial and this is a business that's growing. That was the other thing that I said to myself, I'm, I will only work for a business that's growing. And it was incredible. It was um, such a crazy ride, like they're insane and they won't mind me saying this because they are crazy, um, but in the <laughs> best possible crazy. It's a founder business, you know, it's sort of 
Um, it's exhilarating. What makes Jo so good? She's very focused and very creative and very determined. She would not take no for an answer. And she will, you know, she drives that business. She's uncompromising too. And she has a very clear vision of what that business um, will be and what it will look like and what its key values are and what it will focus on. And that is always the customer. And she has great taste. You know, it sort of comes back to the, that sounds so kind of flippant, but everyone feels so good engaging with that business, whether it's walking into the store, the products that you're buying, the, you know, the um, the loyalty program, the content. She was way ahead of digital content and content generally, and she never spent any money on advertising and she always put money into their own marketing and their own channels and everything was in-house. So she was just, she was quite visionary. She is quite visionary and she's really inspiring and she's very passionate. I have such incredible respect for someone who starts a business and then pulls it off to the extent that she has and not in an easy, not in necessarily an easy category either, retail, um, but she has completely led the way. But I'm going to come back to great taste in a minute because... I do want to explore that a bit with you. So you go and work with Mecca, you get persuaded by Joe Horgan and you're happy again, but you actually have to make another very difficult decision to quit. And that is because another dream job is on offer. Yes, uh, I was approached by another great mentor and entrepreneur, a man called Radik Sali, who... I'd known through my gourmet days, he was the CEO of Swiss Vitamins and they were a big advertiser with us. I'm sure they were with you as well, Helen. He's sort of the definition of entrepreneur. I kind of refer to him as Australia's answer to Richard Branson and they actually do business together. Like He's he's very Branson-esque. He was the chair of Food and Drink Victoria, which is the organisation behind the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival and they'd, they were looking for a new CEO. So he asked me to interview for the role. And yeah, it was really difficult because I, I mean, I couldn't say no. It was, it was, it literally was, is my dream job, even though it's a very difficult job. <laughs> uh, and I didn't anticipate that at the time, but it literally brought my whole world together. Like, I feel like I've like, always feel like I've, I'm being quite blessed. Like this role is very creative as well as being a business-minded role, but at the end of the day, it's all about storytelling. You know, the festival is all about storytelling. It's about content. It's about connection. It's about relationships into industry. And then I'd just been at Mecca, in my opinion, the best retail in the country, learning about marketing. I was at the coalface of marketing and digital marketing and selling stuff. So it kind of felt like I... Yeah, my time at Mecca was predetermined before I went to interview for this role, which I was was lucky enough to get. But yes, telling Joe Horgan and my other one of the other senior executives that I worked very closely with, Marita Burke, also an amazing woman, that I was leaving was literally one of the most gut wrenching times I've ever had. Like I was not happy having that conversation. I was much more comfortable with the one that I had. <laughs> I had gone my traveller, but I knew she would not be happy and she was not happy. And she was very angry at Radic. <laughs> 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 
And yeah, I, I was going to say that, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, she was very angry at him. Like, I mean, as a founder, when you lose a key staff member, it's a big deal. And I mean, sorry, Joe, if you're listening to this, she will be now, right? Was she angry with you? Because, I mean, that is hard to not get angry with the staff member, even though you know that, you know, they're going on to something that is their dream job. I think, yes, a little bit. I'm sure she was. And that would come from disappointment. I mean, I'd only been there 18 months. So I really had just started, or not just started, but, you know, it takes, it took some time to get my head around the business. And we were sort of just finding a rhythm and... Um, there were big plans for expansion and um, especially in the, the content world. But I think once she realised, and she still says this when she introduced me to someone, we're still very good friends and I was just at the NGV gala with her and, yeah, she will always introduce me as, well. Anthea used to work for me until she left me <laughs> for her dream job. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't um, expect anything less. <laughs> no, no, exactly. So yeah, that was really, really difficult. And also because I just look at what they're, you know, they're doing now and it's just extraordinary, the people that they've, they've hired, how the business is growing. They know they're building a store in the Burke Street Mall, which will be, I think, four or five times bigger than the massive store they've just opened in Sydney, or actually not so recently now. But this, you know, it's the old David Jones store. It's huge. <laughs> incredible. That yeah. is incredible. So do you have any advice for anyone who has to have those conversations with a boss that they respect and who has probably taken a bit of a leap of faith in hiring them? Because I that must have been, as you said, one of the most difficult conversations you've ever had, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I guess the obvious one is preparation and, you know, and being trying to be calm about it and trying to be respectful to that person and trying to frame that conversation in a way where they really cannot not understand why you're leaving. And you are leaving because you have a very valid reason for leaving unless, you know, you're unhappy or whatever. But if you are leaving a job that you are very grateful for and are very happy in to go to something that you just cannot say no to, then it's a fairly compelling argument to make. And as soon as, I mean, she was quite shocked and understandably, but it did not take her long to get her head around why. And, and I, you know, and I obviously explained to her, this is literally my whole life's work coming together in this one role. So in retrospect, is there anything you would have done differently? And, this, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you where I'm going with this. And that is, would you have started to raise it with her that the, the overture had been made and the offer was coming? Like, w- is there anything you would have done differently? Or do you feel in retrospect, actually, this was the only way to do it? One hard conversation and you're through it, right? Well, yeah, I didn't. That's a really good question, actually. I hadn't really thought of it like that. I was so nervous to have that conversation with her that I kind of didn't want to. I kind of. I've always found that quite odd when people have done that to me in a way, even though it's perfectly valid and it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I would always think if someone came to me and said, I've been offered this role, that you would always have the right of reply. And that has has happened to me a few times. But I also sort of felt quite awkward about even exploring that opportunity, even though, you know, it was, it came to me, I, I did not, did not seek it out. I am a very loyal person. So perhaps, you know, I, perhaps I didn't handle that the best way and I maybe seeding it with her 
could have sort of lessened the blow, I guess. But equally on the flip side, I'm like, well, if nothing comes of it, then I don't want to spoil this great relationship, like a personal and professional relationship I have with this person. Let's talk about what I see as your innate sense of style. You talked about someone having great taste. And, you know, I imagine, for example, every detail of the Food and Wine Festival is cleared by you. Am I correct on that one? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Can you give us an example of how minute you can get when you're clearing a font, a colour... You know, a glass, a chair. Tell me. I have a big issue How on chairs. I have very, 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 very big problems with chairs. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Is that just because the ones that you rent are just not up to Anthea scratch? Well, yes. When first yes. year I came, I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. This world's longest lunch is great, but those chairs are so ugly. We are not having them again. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, um, it's, quite, it's quite difficult to hire 1,800 chairs in one style. It's quite a lot and of how, chairs. What are, the chairs. What are the chairs like for this year's event? <laughs> They're great. Um, actually, I haven't seen them yet. I've, thanks for the reminder. They'll be, I'm assuming they'll be the same ones we had last year. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, I think all of those things are really important. It's the brand, you know, and, and the big job that the festival does is, you know, we're representing Melbourne and Melbourne has a brand and Melbourne has a style and... You know, it, it's sort of about aspiration and fun, and and what we what what we want to represent. All of all of those sort of really, um, you know, seemingly flippant, silly things are actually really, really important because they're a language that speaks to the brand without you saying anything. And what I find so interesting about your leadership style is that is core to you as a leader. And when someone buys Anthea Lucas as a leader, they get style and taste. And I don't think I've ever interviewed anyone like you in the context of this leadership podcast where that is something and that attention to detail is what you bring to every aspect of the brand. Is that the conversation people have with you when you are overseeing a team, overseeing an event, overseeing a... Uh, a promotion? Is that what's expected of you? I think the team know what I will have an opinion on. And, you know, like, I am very fussy when it comes to where are we having our opening party? Where are we doing this? Where are we hosting our partners? Because it reflects on us. It's it's not just a decision on which, you know, uh, venue, hotel, restaurant, where we're dining at. It's sort of an expression of, it's respect for the brand. It's, you know, I I want us to, I want everything we do to be the best that it can be. And it's all of those little details that ladder up to that. It's, It's also about the way we talk about the festival and finding the best writers and a really fun tone of voice. And, you know, I'm lucky I have Pat Nurse, our creative director, who leads that side of the business. It's about hiring you know, the best designers to create beautiful photography that also has a spirit that matches our brand. And we are very lucky to have actually an ex-Mecca. 
head of design, but he did not leave Mecca and come Very to me. Very lucky. <laughs> he did not leave Mecca and come to me. He had a gap <laughs> between Mecca. Okay. Sure. So yeah. I didn't poach him from Joe. Um, wonderful guy called Murray Batten who I worked with at Mecca, but also had a sideline in, cook- in designing cookbooks. So, yeah, he came over and he's... Um, we've had always had amazing designers work for us, uh, but he has definitely elevated, I think, our our visual language. So, yeah, I think all those things are important because they create aspiration for everyone that's looking at you, whether it's the government, whether it's the minister, whether it's our commercial partners, whether it's our audience, our customers. They want to be part of it because it's fun and it's cool and it also... You know, it's strong and it kind of sends a strong message about what type of event I'm going to attend. That's the one great thing that I, I mean, I inherited many, many great things about the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, but probably the strongest piece to the festival was just this understanding that there's an assurance that when you come to a Melbourne Food and Wine Festival event, regardless of what that event is, whether it's a free event or a $525 VIP ticket to the world's longest lunch, that you will have a great time and you will be well looked after and things will be very well organised and you'll have great, it'll be great value. And it's sort of like a a stamp of approval, a bit like the triple tested stamp that you used to have at the Women's Weekly, Helen. It's a very similar thing, but for events that, you know, there's a confidence that our audience has with, with any of our events, with our program, with, yeah, what, what you'll experience when you come to a Melbourne Food and Wine Festival event. And can I just suggest that one of the things that you do in your attention to detail and your your innate sense of style is you create a feeling, that you're really good at creating a feeling as much as you're good at putting together a, a great table setting. Yeah, it's expression, I guess, ultimately, isn't it? But people feel good around the things that you create. Thank you. I think they're fun things. <laughs> I'm also going to ask a, 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 um, a slightly provocative question. Does it ever bother you uh, or do you ever second guess your sense of what is cool as you get older? So, you know, you were doing all these cool young things and, you know, now you're getting older and you still think what's cool is cool um, because you don't really realise you're getting older. But <laughs> do you ever kind of go, oh, am I just still doing what I did, you know, when I was in my 20s and the 20-year-old thinking quite differently? Yeah. Does that ever cross well, your mind? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, that's why we have young team members. <laughs> I know, but do you listen to them? Because you go, no, 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 there's no way I'm doing that. I think, well, look, it depends what we're talking about. Like our audience is quite mixed. Um, so an, an audience, uh, someone that's attending the world's longest lunch probably is around my age. Um, it's, you know. And so you then, just pull rank on that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but then I think it's probably more things like how we express ourselves on social media and TikTok and the language we use and you know, the slang that's popular that I have no idea what they're talking about. So, yeah, I think, I mean, I think food and beautiful restaurants, great chefs are pretty timeless. Like they're either good or they're kind of not. And that could be at any level. <laughs> you know, that could be the young Filipino chef that that's coming in to, to join us to cook at Sarai through to Sarah Cicciolini, who's the current darling of the Roman dining scene who's, you know, coming in to cook with us at Seven Seeds for a week. Their food 
you know, regardless of the style of food. I mean, I think you can kind of judge food as being good or bad pretty easily. Okay, so to someone who's listening to this and thinks, actually, I have no chance at having Anthea Lucas Bush's sense of style. I never did, didn't start my career in fashion and I'm not going to ever get to restaurant reviews. Can you learn it? And, and what's your tips to, like, just speed up this piece? Go, yep, I totally get it. It's really important to have that quality assurance and that eye. But is it something you can work on or is it something you should just, if you don't have it, just buy it in and fast? Yeah, I think so. If it's important to you, you probably will care about it. So you probably will have an opinion, um, whether it's about an interior, you know, interior design or or fashion. And if you like it, you, there's loads of places that you can go for help, whether it's Instagram or, you know, following your, your favourite feeds on interior design, like Vogue Living, I love, they do a beautiful job, and the design files or influences that you like. And if you just like the way someone looks, then you can just replicate that pretty easily and, and more easily now than ever before. Or in magazines or websites. It's, it's um, if, if you don't care about it, you won't even be aware of it. So it's not a problem, I think. But if you do aspire to something, then it's pretty easy to find inspiration. Your home in Melbourne with your fabulous husband, uh, it was tough leaving Gourmet Traveller and it was a, a few months of what have I done. How does it feel today? Look, it's great. I mean, we lost dad, so that was always really tough. Um, but my mum's in a really good place now and life's good. I mean, you know, we did have to, you know, COVID was, you know, not a walk in the park. That was a very, very difficult time personally and professionally being in the uh, events, hospitality, tourism business. <laughs> so that was really tough. The The work is difficult. It's not as, there are so many more variables than I've ever had to deal with in publishing. There's event risk, there's funding risk, there's partnership risk, there's ticket sale risk. You have to be very flexible. My, my sort of my mindset around work is to sort of really do have to roll with it and find solutions because otherwise you drive yourself crazy. Um, I am married to a beautiful man. He's one of the kindest people I know. I'm very lucky. He's very supportive. His favourite phrase is, you know, we're a team. I'll give you a, a little example. On Sunday morning, <laughs> I get receive a call from my mother at like 8.30. She rings once and I just leave it. Sorry, Mum. And she rings again like 15 minutes later. I'm like, you know, some people are sleeping. Of course, I was working. I was not sleeping. She said, oh, I can't find my car keys. I hope you haven't taken them home with you. We're at her house in Red Hill, which is a 80-minute drive from our place in Fitzroy. Yep, as it turns out, they were in my denim jacket pocket. <laughs> and I had to go to an event um, for work at lunchtime and so trust overheard. I said, Mum, I'll be in the car in 10 minutes. I'll be up to you. I'll get back in time. I'll be late for lunch, but I'll be okay. And he gets out of bed and he's like, I'll go. And I'm like, no, 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 you're not going. I'm going. It's my fault. It's my mistake. I've done it. He's like, give me the car. And he went and he drove for three hours <laughs> to <Wow>. return my <laughs> car keys, which allowed me to actually go to the gym and go to my lunch. Um, so he's, he's pretty amazing. He is yeah. indeed amazing, um, as are you. Uh, mm. Thank you so much for 
telling us a bit about your career today and um, for all the support you offer people like me and many other people in your life. And uh, Anthea Lucas, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much, Helen. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Series producer is Holly Mitchell and audio imaging by Nat Marshall.